Today we're going to finish up uh, Galatians chapter 5 by looking uh, at the products of two opposing natures. Uh, really, we've got a lot of content to get through today. Uh, there is a lot here in these verses. Uh, and so, man, let's just really uh, jump in. And as we, as we do, I, I want to just kind of set the stage uh, really with the reminder of, of Paul's current position in this letter, uh, which is that faith, and we've been, uh, this is since Galatians uh, 1 verse 1, where we've been, uh, as we've been journeying through, but faith is not found in Jesus plus the fulfillment of works of the law, such as uh, circumcision, uh, nor is it found by using one's freedom for self. So last week we really looked at the, uh, we've been looking at uh, that, that it's, uh, that freedom is not found in the works of the law. But then last week, uh, Paul states, hey, don't use your freedom to be again yoked, uh, to slavery. Don't, don't use your freedom, uh, as an avenue for, uh, the flesh. As an avenue to sin and do whatever you want to do. And so I, I want to, as we kind of lay that out, I want to press into this. Because really, I believe that those, really those two statements kind of, they go against everything, uh, that, 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 man, as a culture, as, as, even as human beings, uh, man, just our tendency, kind of our nature and the framework, uh, that, that we have for life, uh, the, the, those two things go against it. And so, uh, let, uh, really quickly, I just want to look at those two things. First, uh, in terms of the works, uh, fulfilling uh, one's life by the works of the law. Another way you can say this is just do it yourself, right? It's this mentality. And again, it's something that we're taught probably a lot is if you want something done, you better do it yourself. Don't wait on anyone. Uh, don't, uh, man, look to anyone else. But man, you need to pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you need to do it yourself. Napoleon Bonaparte says, if you want, to, if you want something done well, do it yourself. Which, if you know anything about Napoleon, that didn't work very well uh, towards the end of it all. Uh, as he was defeated and, and uh, he, he couldn't do it well enough. And I, I think as we hear this, this, uh, this call to do it yourself, what I want us to realize again is that that is not the gospel. You in and of yourself cannot do Enough, but the other side of that is this, this phrase or this belief is that man, in life, you just do you, right? You concern yourself with you. You need to do what you must to be the best you possible, even if it means pushing others out of the way, right? I mean, that, that has created such a false narrative for life. Uh, we see it all the time, even in the church. That there's this, uh, man, this identity complex where I am building self and I have to build my platform and, and I have to build my desires and I'm going to pursue those things even if it means getting someone else out of the way. I am going to be about me and anything that gets in the way of that, they're gone. And so we have these two uh, really two sides of the same coin, but Paul's argument and really the good news being laid out in this letter is that doing it yourself and or uh, you doing you, just whatever you want, using your freedom for the sake of self will not bring about the freedom that you long for. Rather, the only way that one finds true freedom is faith working through love. 
Not the love of the law, not the love of self, but the love of Christ in you that works its way out in how you serve others. You see, the gospel is not only a call to new life, but actually the gospel is a call to newness. I remember getting baptized as a kid, and they even, man, you know, uh, other times when I baptize people, we, you, you have this saying where you say, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in what? In newness of life. Now the word newness defined is the quality of being new or original. And what that means for the follower of Jesus is that you have a new identity. You're not just giving, given life, you have a new way to live. You are completely new. You see, the problem is that so many people claim new life, but they do not show the quality of newness. There's nothing new in them. Because at the end of the day, it's all about them. But a mark of newness is service over selfishness as the priority. You see, the mark of the gospel taking root in one's life is a newness in the quality of one's life which will be marked by the fruit of loving service towards others in light of how you've been served. And the opposite will show, which we've seen and we're going to see today, is a life marked by the flesh. So with this call to newness in mind, let us look now at Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so what Paul lays out here in these first three verses are really two opposing natures that need to be both understood and respected. And the reason I use understood and respect is because we often in pride proclaim the fruit of one to be in our lives while brushing off the other as a non-struggle. But much of what I see and much of what I find even in my own life is that the struggle is real and the works of one that we're going to get to in a moment can often be confused and I would argue are even preferred Over the fruit of the other. Now quickly before I describe these two natures. Let me say this. These two natures. Are entirely different. In every way. Shape and form. The first, which is of God, is given by God and is not produced in and of ourselves. And the second, and again, I want us to hear this today. The second is who we are by our very nature. It's a product of the fall and it is, and we're going to say this a lot today, it is our bent and focus apart from the supernatural transforming grace of God. You see, we often get confused because really oftentimes we become blind. And we can quickly pick the fake over the authentic. Do we not? It would be uh, like for me, like I believe 
that I know Dr. Pepper really well. And if you said Dr. Pepper, which is the authentic, really the only drink uh, that should be uh, consumed uh, as far as a soda, and you laid beside them Dr. Thunder and Dr. B and not even a doctor, a Mr. Pibb, right? Like, I look at them like, come on, bro, you're not even a doctor, man. Like, get, get in the game, you know? Uh, you lay those in front of me. I, I believe that I can often, I probably could tell the difference really quickly. You see, so often, and while I would say that and believe that, I think there would be times, there would be moments where I, if I was, if there were no labels, maybe I was blindfolded, or maybe I just, yeah, I just see these cups and I took drinks, I might end up preferring one over the other. Dare I say it? Like, I don't even like saying that. But I, I could do that. And I could begin to prefer one. Or if left uh, to uh, man to decide, I might say, hey, this one right here, while it's not Dr. Pepper, is cheaper than Dr. Pepper is. And so it costs less. So I'm going to go after that one. And the same thing holds true in our lives so often. We can think, we can believe, yeah, I know what I would choose. Of course, I would choose the Spirit. And yet, we can so easily trick ourselves and begin to prefer something that doesn't cost us as much. Even if we know it's a fake. And so first, what I want to do is I want to look at the two natures that Paul describes, which are the spirit and the flesh. For we are to, Paul says, walk by the spirit of God so that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh or the desires of self. So first we have the spirit, which we are to walk and live by the spirit. For the Spirit of God in the life of the believer is to transform every aspect of life. What Paul says is walk by the Spirit. Walking is active. For God who begins a good work in you, Philippians 1.6 says, will see it to completion. Man, man, one thing about the good news is the good news does not transform halfway. And because the good news doesn't transform halfway, that's why the get out of hell free card Christianity is so dangerous. Because it's only powerful enough to affect eternity, but has no power to bring life to the everyday. You see, the good news is good. Because it brings resurrection from the death of your past. It promises resurrection hope for the future. And it produces resurrection power in every single aspect of your life. Paul goes further here in his statement. He says essentially when you walk by the Spirit, he says you will not. Now again, it's not you. Because again, you don't produce this. Only by grace. You will not which is definitive, gratify the desires of the flesh. Which brings us to our second nature, which is the flesh. And if you remember last week, I defined the flesh as the fallen self. And therefore, to not walk by the Spirit is to seek the gratification of the desires of yourself over and above the desires of God. Now, what's interesting about the flesh 
is that while the, our desires that Paul's talking about are all ultimately wrong, they are not, and I want you to hear this, they are not all ultimately bad. I see me like, wait, if they're wrong, how, how can they not all be bad? And, and let me just explain what I mean. What I mean is that while we can all say that there are point blank, no arguing bad things we desire, We also carry the, the tendency to over-desire even good things. Like we can easily, like if we sat down and begin, I began to say, hey, what's sin? Like tell me about some sins. Man, there's some point blank things that you could just, you would just begin to rattle them off. Like this is it, this is it, this is it. But then I, if I press deeper, I say, well, what about even the good things that you do? Not for the sake of God, but for the sake of yourself. I don't know about that, Kyle. Those are the things I like to, that, that's my stuff, Okay. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, look, your bad desires are bad, but even you over-desiring good things is bad. Which is why we need the gospel. Our good and bad desires and the sin, our sinful flesh always lead to wrong motivations and actions. Though the word desire here, it, it, the actual translation of it is inordinate craving or over-desire. Man, this goes all the way back to the garden. Man, the temptation and the lie was that if you eat this, you won't die. You'll, you'll be like God. You see, there, the, the thing about and the, man, that's why, man, the lie of the enemy is so skewed because it's so close to the truth. And yet it is a horrendous demonic lie. Because, man, I would argue that to... Seek to be like God in terms of character, care, and displaying His glory is a good thing. Man, when God created Adam and Eve, when He created humanity, what He said, He said, be fruitful and multiply. Man, display my glory in the earth. We are the Imago Dei, the image bearers of God. But what happened in the garden was that there was an over-desire for that thing. And that over-desire led to sin when it became the desire to actually be God. And ever since then, we've struggled with over-desire. It is, as we've said before, turning a good thing into a God thing. Next, we see that the spirit and the flesh are not just two natures, but they are two opposing natures. For the flesh is the antagonist of the spirit and the spirit of the flesh. And while the over-desires of the flesh seek to produce the fulfillment and glorification of self, the desire of the spirit is to conform us more into the image of God so that we might produce and proclaim the glory of God alone. So we see there are two natures, but there are two opposing natures. And then finally... These two natures have two drastically different products. For the flesh, as Paul has argued, leads you to enslavement under the law, either by way of legalism or the pursuit of self-fulfillment. Again, hear this, that's our bent. But the Spirit 
And when led by the Spirit, you are led by dependence, which produces in you freedom and the empowerment of faith that works itself out through love, which is supernatural. You see, the flesh is natural to us. We need something supernatural to change us. And that's what the Spirit does. You can't produce this by you because apart from grace, it's not in you. And so now that we have a better understanding of these two natures, let's look at the enslaving works that are produced by the flesh, followed by the freeing fruit that's produced by the Spirit. Verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, now as we read this again, and I think that we should, as we hear those things, we should be overly cautious not to immediately brush off these various works or products of the flesh. Because often, I think when we read this list, while there might be certain things we deal with, we often, if you're like me, you compartmentalize your sin between bad, badder, and baddest. Which is not proper English, I know, but it's okay. But we put them in these boxes... As a way to show pride in our works and strength, as well as cast judgment upon others whom we might deem as worse off than we are. And so what I want to do, because we can read these things and be like, yeah, 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 let's get to the fruit of the Spirit, because that's me, right? Let me just read you this portion of Galatians from the message translation that was written by Eugene Peterson. Uh, the, The message translation is a phenomenal resource. I wouldn't call you to let it be your primary resource, but what Eugene Peterson did was as a Presbyterian pastor, he began to write out the scriptures and say, how can I write this in a way? How, how can I give the, present the text in a way that, man, people, well, it's just everyday language. And man, what started with one book of the Bible, they just began to say, we want more of that. And I love, I love Eugene Peterson. Um, but let, let me just read verses 19 through 21. From the message, it says this. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. A a bit different hearing it in this way, is it not? Because you see, while previously we could all compartmentalize the severity of our sin, what we find when we uh, put it in what might be described as contextual English, we see the obvious reality that Peterson states of the kind of life. I love the way he starts. He says, this is the kind of life. 
That, that develops, he said, and it should be obvious when you try to get your way all the time. This is truth. The truth is, is the flesh, which again is our natural bent, is always working every angle to secure its own way. Let me get more specific. Your flesh, my flesh, which is yours and mine's natural bent apart from grace, is something that is always seeking to get our own way. I mean, I think we, we make light of it and say, yeah, you know, kids, of course, but they grow out of it. No, we don't. We just hide it better and we're just, we just get more manipulative. We just learn how to play the angles. This is at the heart of who we are. I mean, it's sad, broken, and it's in dire need of fixing. This is the bad news. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through these various works of the flesh from the message translation. And really, they can be broken down into three categories. Cheap sex, idolatry, and self-serving relationships. Now, really quickly, so earlier this week, Laura came to me and said, Hey, Kyle, we don't have anyone to run Center Kids 3 this week. And at first I was like, hey, just bring all the kids in here. And then I was like, don't do that, okay? <laughs> because we're going to be taught like, we're, we're going to get into some stuff today, okay? I was like, did you just keep them, keep them out there? But we're, we're going to get into this. Because again, we often, especially when you get into these hard things or these things that make us feel uncomfortable, it's like, well, I got to get away from that. But no, it's in the scriptures. It's meant to transform and redeem and draw us to repentance and deeper worship. So let's look at what Paul means by cheap sex. You see, we as the church are horrible when it comes to talking about it. Because on the one hand, the desire is wrong. And man, our culture has shaped that desire, has it not? It's everywhere. The broken reality of sex is everywhere. This week we were, I wasn't. Haley was trying to shop for clothes for our daughter and she said she's seven and they want her to wear that. It's everywhere. This promotion of it. There's this desire, not only in our culture, but in ourselves, which is what Paul's getting at. This is what the flesh wants. It wants to get your own way. To use it in cheap ways, which often all it does is create guilt and more shame rather than repentance and transformation. And what it, that has done is led to a greater problem and that we, that we've forgotten that it was created by God and when used rightly in the context of covenant marriage brings great joy, intimacy, and a deeper love for your spouse and God. Which I know for some of you are like, you hear that and you're like, oh, I don't, that makes me uncomfortable. No, like God created it to display His glory. Everything that He's created that is good is meant to draw us and make us realize, man, God, we thank you for the way that you've made us. But what we've done is because we use it wrongly, is we've just said, oh, it's, it's evil, it's taboo, it can't be talked about. No. In the right way it can be. But instead, we've cheapened it by way of sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. 
But I want to press deeper because, again, blanket buzzwords will never get us to the heart of our sin. We need to dive deep. We need to hear difficult things. And we need to be met with the reality of our brokenness and God's grace so that redemption and transformation might take place. So what is cheap sex? Here's just a quick list. This is not exhaustive. It's adultery, pornography, lusting after another, both in outward action and the inward recesses of heart and mind. See, I think that's something we need to recognize, that cheap sex is not just physical. When we leave it there, you don't go deep enough. It is emotional. And it is mental sin as well. And with all these things, everything we're going to walk through today, man, what's needed to correct that is repentance, transparency, and grace. The enemy wants us to hide those things. So that's category one. Let's look now at category two, which is idolatry. This is what the message says. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, and magic show religion. So let's just break each of those down. What does it mean by a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage? What you put in oozes out. Too much media, allowing social media and or the media to dictate your identity In every aspect of your life and your belief system over and above the gospel and God's word is sin. Accumulating likes and finding shelter under the banner of 140 characters is mental and emotional garbage that makes a crummy God as well as never produces any relational depth. Your social media or media platform desires your attention, but doesn't give a rip about your heart. It wants your time and likes, and it does everything it can, algorithms, to make you think you're crazy and that it is tracking even your thoughts. You ever get on social media and you're like, hey, why is that for sale on here? Why is that? I just thought about that. And it knows. Not in a, not in like a Terminator way, okay? <laughs> it tracks everything. It doesn't give a care about the state of what's going on in your life and your relationships in the world. Joyless grabs for happiness. What this is, is the continual quick change from one thing to the other in the hopes that it will make you happy. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. God doesn't care about your happiness. He wants you to have joy. Happiness is fleeting and circumstantial. Joy is everlasting and doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Trinket gods. It's like, you know, it's like a McDonald's Happy Meal or, you know, we got our kids a a wacky pack last night from Sonic. Uh, Don't judge me. And it was like the, this tree, and man, they were ecstatic over it until today or tomorrow, and they're not going to be ecstatic over it anymore. So what's the next thing? You get it, you use it, and when it doesn't satisfy, you look elsewhere. Hey, this is two forms. You can use this, man, I just got to buy the next thing. Or, 
You make trinket gods out of relationships. And I'm going to use that person until they're not a value of me anymore. And then I'm, they're gone. Magic show religion. Man, he, he uses words so well, right? It's putting on a front by way of box checking, projecting and posturing in public. But behind the curtain, you are empty, unsatisfied and joyless. You want to be right, look good and create all instead of looking to God, pursuing holiness and being in awe of God's grace. And then lastly, let's look at how the works of the flesh destroy relationships. He says paranoid isolation and then later he says making everyone into a rival. You see what the flesh does is the the flesh desires isolation because it pulls us away from the community of the church. If it can isolate us, what it, it, it can wreak havoc. But not only that, this, this, this sin of the flesh, this work of the flesh seeks or, or produces the inability to be present and real to relationships while also complaining about how lonely you are. Victim mentality. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. And yet I'm not real before anybody. Except on, if you have Twitter, the 140 characters, if you have something else, whatever, social media platform or wherever I can voice that, that's what I'm going to do. But nobody, no, that's victim mentality. You are funneling yourself in and allowing yourself to be drawn into isolation. Along with this, there's the other belief that everyone is out to get you and is against you. Let me, let me just say this. If everyone is always out to get you, if your first response or thought is everyone is out to get me, you might want to look at whether or not the issue is really just you and your inability to be wrong. If it's everyone, it's probably not everyone. It's probably you. Hard to hear. But probably true. Cutthroat comparison. This is what we looked at last week. The work of biting and devouring others so that you can be seen and even worshipped. This type of comparison seeks to prove oneself by way, often commonly by way of demeaning others. If your first response when someone says something is just cut them down. Or if you know you've wronged someone but your first response is, but you did. Or if your first response is, hey, someone's celebrating what someone has done. Hey, yeah, but you know that they did this. You begin to gossip. That's cutthroat competition and comparison. All consuming and yet never satisfied once and small minded and lopsided pursuits. What this is, is when you create unrealistic expectations for yourself and or others. You don't communicate them. And then you make sure to go after yourself or other the other person when they aren't met. The other aspect of this is you are consumed with something. And yet as soon as you receive it, you are not satisfied with it. It's never good enough. Because guess what? What you need is not that something. It's the creator of the universe. Brutal temper. 
I think we should, I think I should really give the Spirit some time here. Do you go to, from a 1 to a 10 like that? Like, boom. If so, there's a problem. And the problem is that we believe that we are a little God. And how dare they interrupt what we're trying to do. Trying to get your own way all the time. But let me, let me press deeper than external. Do you go to a one, from a 1 to a 10 internally? You're like, I don't ever say anything. No, internally is just as bad as external. If you're raging inside, it needs as much repentance as if you're raging outside. Next, he says, impotence to love or be loved. You see, the works of the flesh produce no ability to show or receive real love or intimacy from or towards others. This is especially marked by one's inability to pursue, stick in, and be real in the context of community. That's why he says, parodies of community. Well, what this is, is this is like, hey, I go to church, but I am not part of the church. I'll come, but you better not ask me how I'm doing, and I'm sure not going to willingly tell you. Guess what? We probably already see it. Man, let us have much grace for one another. Then lastly, uncontrollable addictions. I'm not really going to press into this because I think that this is where we often sit. What this is, is alcohol, drugs, other carousing. Like, that's where we like to sit, right? As long as you don't drink, as long as you don't do drugs, as long as you're not a maniac, who cares if you fail at all the other things? You got those three things, you're good. You're not. And what I hope we see in all these things is the enslaving nature of the flesh. There's not one bit of freedom to be found or had in any of these categories. And we would do well to allow the Spirit to search our hearts hearts while also allowing others in the church, which is what healthy community does, to call out where we're walking in the works of the flesh, which guess what that's going to take? Humility. And not rushing to a victim mentality that when someone speaks truth in love, you say, hey, you're just judging me. No, we're not. Hopefully not. If we are, we need to repent. But if we're coming to you in love and grace and speaking truth and your first thought is, man, you're just trying to judge me. No, you're just convicted. These works will not produce the freedom of faith that works itself out through love. Which is the fruit that's found in verses 22 through the end of the chapter. And so let me just read it. But the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, prideful, provoking one another, envying one another. But... The fruit of the Spirit is. Here we see the product, the, the, the juxtaposed, the opposite, the, the, not the works, but the fruit. The, the opposite of the slaving works of the flesh. Paul here shares the good news 
that there is a different way to live. There is newness to be had. A way that is marked by fruit and not works, that's marked by faith and not fear, that is marked by freedom rather than enslaving performance. So let me make two quick observations that we tend to confuse first. These are the fruit singular of the Spirit, not the fruits. You see, I believe confusion in that leads to a belief that you can live out certain ones while forsaking all the others. You can't. These aren't spiritual gifts that are given in sporadic fashion, but a fruit that's given by grace and is the product through the Spirit's work in you. And we deceive ourselves when we say, hey, I really love people well, but I sure have a lot of joy. Man, I I have zero peace, but I'm really, really gentle. That's contradiction. Secondly, the fruit is an overflow of love, which is why love is the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit. And so let me just quickly, as we did with the works of the flesh, break these down. You have love. The fruit of love is to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what they can bring to you. It's saying, hey... I'm made in God's image. They're made in God's image. God has so loved me. Therefore, let me let my faith work itself out in love. And I'm going to serve them even if I don't get anything in return. I, I, yesterday, I was working in the yard and I have a neighbor that I go talk to pretty often when he's outside. And uh, we have similar stories. We were both... Uh, he was a cattle rancher. I was raised in a family of cattle ranchers. And so we have some common ground. And uh, we had met a few times and he was like, hey, I'm going to give you, we're about to slaughter an animal or a cow. I'm going to give you some of the beef. I said, okay, awesome. I didn't ask for it, but that great. Thanks. And, but I was, I was outside working. I said, man, I'm going to just mow this guy's grass. And so I mow the grass and, and I get done and he's sitting outside and he looks at me. I turn the mower off and he goes, okay, how much do I owe you? I said, you don't owe me anything. I saw your grass needed to be mowed. I just mowed it out. He goes, well, I'm going to give you more beef now. And part of me is like, awesome. But the other part is like, that's not why I mowed your grass, man. Like, you know, it's like, yes, beef is good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> that's not why I cut your grass. I would have cut your grass regardless. That's what love is. That's how we can show love to others. Say, hey, I'm not looking for anything in return. Next is joy. The, the, the word here in Greek is translated chara, which the root is char, and it's the same root for, word for grace. You see, joy is found in a simple delight for the beauty and grace of who God is and what He has done. Again, happiness is circumstantial, but joy is based on the solution to the brokenness of our ultimate circumstance which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, you can't help but have joy. When you realize what's been done for you in Christ, the overflow of that is joy. Peace. This is not peace as our culture defines it, but the very shalom of God, which brings about not only the absence of conflict, but holistic restoration and redemption. Patience. Is the ability to face trouble and deal relationally with others without blowing up. It's the act of bearing up aggravation and showing grace instead of reacting for the protection of you. Kindness is the act of serving others in practical ways, even if it makes you vulnerable. 
Now that could be, man, that, that infringes on your time. Maybe it makes you financially vulnerable. Maybe you have, you're like, hey, there's this need. And man, I, we don't have it. Maybe we do have it, but if we get rid of that, like we're, we're going to have to have faith and trust in God to provide for. But hey, no, what I'm saying is, man, no, this God has been this to me and, and, and I'm going to be vulnerable to you. Also, man, one of the most simple ways you can do that is just by being a vulnerable person and sharing, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Or, hey, this is where God, what God is doing. This is where I'm finding victory. And we have goodness. This, according to one writer, is not the equivalent of niceness, but the active, an active disposition towards others that brings benefit. Benefit being for others, not necessarily yourself. We are not to be good. We are not to do good to receive something. That's anti-gospel because we can't be good enough. Rather, we receive grace because of the goodness of God and we respond in like manner. Faithfulness. It is to be full of faith that is deeper than mere belief. It's a life that is lived out of belief and faith in God's love working in and through you. And that then empowers you to be a faithful person. Gentleness is humility defined. It's as Keller states, the act of being self-forgetful. And as Timothy George shares, gentleness is strength under control, power harnessed in loving service and respectful action. Then there's self-control, which is to pursue that which is important over that which is urgent. It's being aware enough to be present and aware so to make a decision not solely based on you, but for the good of others. Now, what I want us to see is that this fruit is not only built out of faith working through love, but every aspect of the Spirit's fruit expresses itself in loving service towards others. It is outward focused, not inwardly obsessed. And against, Paul says, against such fruit there is no law. Meaning that it's only by being led by the Spirit that we find the freedom in life we really need. Which is a product of not fulfilling a list of to do, of do's and don'ts, but by being, uh, uh, let me say one more time, being in Christ. For those, Paul states, who belong to Christ. And I want you to have to hear that. You cannot walk in the Spirit without being connected to Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, you have no hope. You are in the flesh, dead in your trespasses and sins. And if that's you today, man, come, cry out to Jesus and say, man, I've been doing it all wrong. I've been trying to to get the fruit of the Spirit by works of the flesh. It'll never produce it. Paul says that those who belong to Christ have seen the flesh crucified with all of the enslaving works and the over desires that we have. Therefore, and this is the action step for the follower of Christ today, if you are in Christ, do not seek to turn back to a yoke of slavery that has been crucified. Don't turn back to the works of the flesh. Instead, Paul says, keep in step with the spirit. So how do you do that? Dependent prayer, quick and continual repentance, and humility that reminds yourself that the good news is far better than you deserve while also being far better than you could ever imagine. 
Which is why the chapter ends the way it does, by calling us not to be controlled and to fool ourselves by thinking we can produce the fruit on our own. Rather, we are to be humble because humility is key in seeing the fruit of the Spirit bring transformation and change to your heart, lives, and relationships. You see, the Spirit produces humble service while the flesh produces self-promoting envy. So today, as you hear that, what is your life marked by? I'm going to have the team come up, but today, is your, is your life marked by the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? And I, I don't want you to wrestle with that. I want you to have my prayer and, and my encouragement is you allow the Holy Spirit to do that work. Because again, we can be really quickly to be like, I got it. It's just because we're, we're comfortable and prefer and it doesn't cost us anything when we just say, I got it. But if you say, hey, I don't got it. God, I need your grace. Do a work. Expose my heart. Expose my life. Today, where do you need to humble yourself in repentance? For your desiring of wrong things and even good things that you've turned into wrong things. Today, where do you need to humble and just depend upon God? Today, where do you need to serve? Where does the fruit need to take root in how you humbly love and care for others? Again, you can't do this on your own. It's only by the Spirit. And today, if you are a new creation, man, I encourage you, I implore you to cry out to God. Uh, Man, ask God, God, let people see the newness in me. By the quality of the fruit. Not that I would be concerned with if I'm producing more fruit than another person, but just let me live my life in such a way that people see newness. And man, today, if you're sitting there like, yeah, there's no fruit, there's only flesh, man. Today, come. And man, I would love to pray with you and talk to you about that. But man, come and, and walk. And, and, and first new life, but then, man, man the, the freedom of new living, of true freedom that's only found in the gospel. So that's where we're going to sit today. I encourage you to spend some time in prayer. Uh, maybe if you need if you need prayer, I'm up here. If you know someone around you, say, hey, I need you to pray for me. Uh, man, but man, let's wrestle with that. Let's allow God's Spirit to work in the midst of, man, the, the, the works of the flesh and revealing those and drawing us to repentance and the fruit of the Spirit and, and revealing that and where we may need to uh, depend more, humble ourselves. But man, let us be a people, not, not as we come in here just to check a box, but as we leave, that we would walk as a new creation. That our actions would be differently. That they would look different. And so I encourage you to do that. We're going to sing and worship. And also, if you're a follower of Jesus, meaning you, you have, you said, man, I, 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 have, I have been crucified with Christ. My fl- I, I, cruci- uh, the flesh has been crucified. And I walk in, in, by the Spirit, by God's grace. And we invite you to come and share in communion and partake in remembering what Jesus has done. The reason that we can even walk by the Spirit because of what He purchased for us. Not what we still need to do. So Jesus, I pray 
by the power of your spirit that we would be a transformed, a, a newness people, a people that just, man, uh, we exude and ooze who you are. That we would be marked by the fruit of the spirit, not by the works of the, the flesh. And that where those things are, that we would repent and turn from them and turn to you because you are better news for our lives. Not just for our past and our future, but for our now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you just reveal those things to our heart now. Draw us by grace to repentance, because repentance is a grace. And then empower us to live differently. In Jesus' name, amen.